are listening to Africa Rights Talk, a Center for Human Rights podcast series hosted by Tatenda Musinahama. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome to this week's episode of Africa Rights Talk. With me today is Victoria Ibizim Oheri from Nigeria. She is the founder and director of research and policy at Spaces for Change, which is a nonprofit organization based in Nigeria and that conducts cutting edge research and advocacy, focusing on strategic sectors such as urban governance, gender inclusion, energy policy, and defending civic space. So with the happenings that have been taking place in Nigeria lately, we have Victoria today just to give us an understanding of what's happening, what sort of human rights violations there are. But before I say much about Victoria, can you please just introduce the nature of the work that you do? Thank you, Tata. You've already done an excellent description of the work of Spaces for Change. Basically, research, advocacy, and um, I would call it research, uh, research advocacy because we basically advocate around our research findings. Um, most of the work we've done um, in connection with the issues we want to discuss uh, fall under our civic space, which is where we um, work together uh, with a number of stakeholders, deploy various strategies to push back on restrictions to citizens' ability to express themselves freely, to organize and assemble or associate freely in Nigeria. Can you please give us a contextual background of why there are ongoing protests in Nigeria? Are there any other underlying issues that were triggered by SARS that these protests seek to address? First of all, m- many people who are trying to will be asking what SARS means. Um, it has no bearing with the virus, the deadly respiratory virus. is actually a unit of the police force called the Special Anti-Robbery Squad. So it was established in 1992 to combat armed robbery and other violent crimes. But so far, evidence has shown that the majority of their victims are predominantly young people that have been wrongly profiled as criminals, maybe because they were looking too handsome or were in expensive dresses and tattoos and dreadlocks or they were they were found in possession of iPhones, laptops or they were by riding expensive cars. So because of this historical practice of targeting young people, many reports have been made, many complaints, many investigations by different agencies including the National Human Rights Commission and a lot of civil society groups and those reports have well, there were delays in implementing them. Then in October, there was a recent shooting by SARS of a young man in Delta State and someone captured that on video. And the video was uploaded on the internet and it went viral within seconds. And that particular video became the what the eruption, the massive eruption of anger across the country when people were now saying enough is enough. It's time to end police brutality. It's time to reform the police. It's time to transform the entire security architecture in the country. I find it very ironic that you mentioned that because Africa, especially most of our African leaders and African governments are still struggling with corruption and in South Africa we have issues of state capture and we find that these organizations instead of actually investigating some of our politicians, they are making our own citizens victims of things that are not even supposed to be there. So has SARS ever actually made a risk when it comes to influencing
influential and people in positions of power? Of course, you know, the answer to that question would be a no. The powerful citizens, the politicians in particular, their way around that space and um, navigating the justice systems and getting access to quality legal representation. So for that reason, we haven't seen those type of incidents. So what implications do these protests have on civic engagement and how do these protests impact Nigeria's democracy? So the right to protest is, a, is constitutionally protected, is a concomitant to the right to free expression, which is divided for under section 39 of the Nigerian constitution, um, where citizens have the right to express themselves and impart their information, impart ideas. And consistent with that right, citizens came out in their number. I did mention that the protest started online, but the anger that started online is read from digital assemblies that were trending the entire hashtags to offline demonstration on the streets across various state capitals in the country. So being a constitutional right and also Nigeria being a democracy, our law does not regard it as a crime or an offense for citizens to gather to protest, to express anger or discontent at official policies and actions that hurt their right. And um, the civic space that I mentioned um, will emerge from some of the restrictions that um, have arisen as a result of the outcome of the protest. At some point, you are already aware that the protests at some point turned in the opposite direction. What started as very peaceful protests turned sour with Nigeria witnessing massive destruction of properties and loss of lives over the last few days. And in response to that, to restore normalcy, some bit of force is being used to restrict abilities of people to continue to gather and people's ability to do what they were doing before. So for that, all of that, we've been tracking, documenting the restrictions we're seeing on the Closing Spaces database, which can be accessed on www.closingspaces.org. So a lot of incidents that happened during the NSAC protest, viewers or readers around the world can access all of that information there. So recent events in Nigeria are basically a mirror reflection of what has taken place in other African countries. We have had the hashtag Zimbabwean Lives Matter movement and now the hashtag NSARS movement. So what do you think other African states can learn from these events? Yeah, I think just like like you mentioned, it's been happening everywhere from United States, other European and African countries. There are certain systemic injustices that citizens are tired of are now engaging states to take action, demanding each, demanding reforms and change. But in particular, NSARS at the beginning was just collective youthful demonstration against police brutality and extrajudicial killing. But now, and as you probably saw, protests, the entrance was just the, the flag or the veil in that encompasses pent-up anger over the years. The accumulation, it now represents that in that hashtag answers, it now represents the accumulation of pent-up anger towards institutionalized corruption, unemployment, official policies and programs that have unleashed mass suffering and high cost of living on the populations. So for many African countries, they do not take steps to address these problems, challenges, which is problems like unemployment, youth unemployment, problems like official corruption, problems like insecurity. Many more countries are going to 
witness uprisings like we have just seen in Nigeria. How inclusive have these protests been, especially for marginalized and vulnerable groups such as women, persons with disabilities, and sexual minorities? I think it was this has been this was the most inclusive protest ever witnessed in Nigeria. There was no discrimination of any kind on the basis of gender, on the basis of ethnic group, on the basis of religion or tribe or sexual orientation or physical or abilities. For the first time ever, Nigerians from all walks of life discarded all of those ideological, moral, religious situations and came together to advocate for a common goal, which is we no longer want police brutality. We no longer want SAS as a unit of the police. We want the police to be reformed to work efficiently to maintain law and order without creation of a lot of entities or subunits within the police force that can that empower to use maximum force to combat violent crime. So to that extent, I think this protest has they've been largely described as being different, innovative and being excellently coordinated. Before these protests and with the presence of SARS, how were the lives of these marginalized groups affected? The profiling was really the problem that the, the way you dressed would be um, a source of truth by wearing a tattoo on your body, by wearing dreadlocks, by maybe a man wearing lipsticks or wearing clothes, you know, uh, cross-dressing. All of those things could make them to be profiled. Can you explain to us now, after the aftermath of these protests, how were the lives of the Nigerian folk as well as vulnerable and marginalized groups of people improve? Well, I think it's improving in, in many ways because um, the consciousness now is very significant. Now, strongly reverberates across sectors, whether it's in the security sector, whether it's in the justice sector, whether it's in the parliament, whether it's in executive or policy halls. The need for respect for human dignity has, that message has been engraved in hearts and minds of both policymakers decision makers and ordinary citizens alike. So the important thing that's going to happen, I think, is the consciousness that everybody, you are now being watched. Whether you're a security operative, whether you are a government official, you are being watched. And that young people now have different kinds of ammunitions, particularly digital ammunitions that they can use to fight back. So in essence, you're saying now there's the sense of accountability and that it can actually be enforced moving forward. Yes, I think through the protest, there is a general awareness of rights, a general awareness that rights can be expressed, can be claimed, can be defended and can be enforced. So that awareness of rights is the foundation or bedrock for justice. Have the demands of the citizens been met? Is SARS going to be disbanded or has it just been rebranded? Okay, that is one of the concerns. That is one of the reasons the protests degenerated. Street action persisted after the protests, after the government failed to honor protesters' demand for SARS to be scrapped. Um, what we was witnessed was that the government indeed dissolved SARS, but shortly afterwards it announced that it was replacing SARS with a new outfit known as the Special Weapons and Tactics. What prompted people to draw that conclusion that it was merely a change of name and not a total scrap was because there were no official investigations that were launched. There were lots of reports that had 
have looked into the atrocities or, you know, complaints received by citizens about SARS officials. None of those reports were implemented. And based on that, um, instead, officials of that different SARS, they were simply ordered to report at the post for debriefing, for psychological and medical examination. And based on that, the protests intensified across the country with the young protesters demanding far-reaching forms. With that, would you like to give us some concluding remarks? The concluding comment would be that um, first and foremost, the the NSAS protest, I agree with those who described it as innovative. Um, for the first time ever, the countrywide protestations against the systemic dysfunction, they were purely youth-led, they were citizen-led without any arrowheads. That is to say, no major leaders of the protest. And protest venues, they were characterized by solid arrangements for food, for private security, for entertainment, sanitation, standby medics, and all that. And I think that despite the latest tone of events in the country, I would conclude by saying that the bravery and heroism displayed by these young Nigerians, whether the ones that are living, the ones that are dead, the ones that are injured, all of them have showed that there is faith and hope for a greater future in Nigeria. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation, Victoria. Thank you, Tati, for having me. This has been Africa Rights Talk with me, Tatenda Musina Hamai. Join us in our other episodes as we continue to explore other human rights issues.